We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DeVirginia. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm your host, James DeVirgilio, alongside Alan Williams. This is a very special edition of the podcast, Alan. We are recording this on a Sunday here in the studio, which to our knowledge, we may have never done. This could be the first Sunday recording of the podcast. Should be an early Christmas gift for hopefully all of you to get you ready for a bunch of things. We'll recap early signing day. We'll talk about Florida, Virginia. We'll talk about all the bowl games that are remaining. Uh, do a little playoff talk and then a few other items. Alan, how are you feeling? Great. It's a rainy Sunday afternoon here in Gainesville. Merry Christmas to everybody, everybody out there. Happy holidays. Hope you're doing really well. Hope you're enjoying the bowl season. And we'll see what happens when Florida meets Virginia. Should be a fun one for the Gators, maybe? We'll see. Fun one, question mark. We'll get into our love or not love of bowl games as well. Always a fun discussion. If you like the content on this podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, hit us up on any social media, write us an email, or become a patron on Patreon. Patrons are those of you, or some of you who are not yet, our listeners who support us financially uh, via a really cool website, uh, Patreon. So if you want to become a patron, you can join our illustrative list of fellow supporters. There are all sorts of different dono types. And last week, Alan, we had several of them come in. We had Rich Ramirez come in with an XL dono. Welcome, Rich. Thanks so much, Rich. Appreciate that. We had a medium dono from Dylan Barton. And then we have still on the throne, Alexander Leventhal, who is the king. Uh, undisputed rolls into 2020, Alan, again, two years in a row now as the the most consistent undefeated player in all of college football. Him and Clemson are on a tremendous winning streak. But as always, thank you so much for all of your support. Uh, as we enter into the close of the year, we wouldn't do this podcast if it wasn't for you, the listeners. If you don't support us on uh, Patreon, we love you all the same. We really appreciate you listening, sharing it with your friends, writing us messages. You know, We get a big kick out of doing this show. We love that we fill a void that didn't really exist before I think we came into the podcast market, which is something that gives both Alan and I a lot of personal um, you know, excitement and pleasure to kind of know that a lot of the things we talk about on this podcast maybe wouldn't have been talked about 
if we weren't out here talking about it. And a lot of your thoughts and feedback do make up topics for the show. So if you have ideas or thoughts, and a lot of you do this consistently, fire them off to us because we will talk about them. That is what our job is, is to try to make sense of what is going on in the football world uh, and particularly how it applies to the Gators. All right, last week we finished up with early signing day, Alan. Well, James, I think we had a pretty decent haul. 24 commits overall, two in the top 100, one-ish elite player, depending on how you want to look at those metrics. 16 four-stars, which is really nice. Improves that blue-chip ratio, if you know what that is. Uh, 12 in the top 300, eighth nationally, very weirdly, or I guess more commonly, sixth in the SEC. And we're going to have 10 early enrollees, so that's a real nice help to the program moving forward. Get those guys in early. Um, This is a, I think, great start to recruiting. Um, filled the needs of our roster. A lot of defensive tackles, a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of defensive backs, quarterback, even an Australian punter, which you always like to see. And just a reminder, this class isn't over. So early signing day is done. There's a dead period, and there will be the traditional signing day date in early February where we're still able to add to this class. Maybe four spots-ish left. You know, coaches are always a little canny about how many spots they're going to give out because they like to leave room for transfers maybe or whatever kind of shenanigans go on in recruiting world. So definitely room for this class to improve, to fill more needs. Uh, but I think overall, a you know, a good start to the class. So after signing day was over, Alan, a couple of publications had listed Florida amongst one of the most disappointing programs on early signing day. What do you make of such a report? I hate this stuff, right? So the the cottage industry of recruiting is definitely aimed at how did it go on signing day? You know, Florida was still looking like it might take three guys more in this class on early signing day if they had flipped. And by flipped, I mean they're already recruited to another program. Would we win them over? And we went 0 for 3 or 4, depending on maybe who we were looking at. And people were all heard about it. We're complaining and moaning that we can't win any recruiting battles. I don't care when these guys commit. If they sign on recruiting day or signing day, great. These weren't necessarily uncommitted guys either. These are guys who are already committing and they were trying to move over. And they weren't at positions of huge need in terms of what we already had in the class. There's a couple defensive linemen, a wide receiver that I think is you know, not that highly rated. So, so it wasn't like here's the centerpiece of this class at our biggest position need and he was uncommitted and we missed out on him. I, it kills me that there's so much focus on the day itself about these guys who decide on that day Whatever. The guys, we had 24 guys sign letters of intent. We like them all, hopefully. Uh, Again, we want to, I'm not saying we had a stellar class, but I don't care about the day itself. I don't care if the guys recruited six months early, committed a week early, like a couple of these guys did. Um, The focus on the day itself and who flips and stuff and the kind of excitement of that and people get all crazy about that who are obsessed about recruiting. I, I couldn't care less. 
there's you're definitely right there's a significant overemphasis on the day itself and that is why those articles are written is if florida could have pulled even one of those three then all of a sudden we're one of the biggest winners of early signing day because we flipped a guy we notably lost out on emmett smith's son who's a receiver a four-star who went to stanford over us hard to blame him for that i can't imagine ever going to the same school my father went to when he was a legend in the sport i'm going to play anyway just doesn't seem like an easy thing to do. Uh, also, you know, great school to go to education-wise. You can't sure. fault that. He was committed there in the first place. So it was a bummer and that you're hoping Dan Mullen proves that he can get some of these guys that would move him up a few tiers, which we'll talk about in a minute, and that didn't happen. However, we signed every single guy we had, Alan. Right. So to say that we were like the worst school on signing day is very misleading. That would imply you lost, guys. We didn't lose a single guy we had when no. we got on this podcast and talked to you about what our class was. That's exactly what it is now. So we maintained all of the commits we had, which puts us at the rankings you had mentioned. So all in all, signing day, early signing day, uh, we're going to contextualize in a minute how successful this was, which is a broader scope than just looking at the day itself. To really figure out where this Florida recruiting class is, Alan, we have to dive in not to the players themselves, but like we talked about last episode, kind of tearing out these different schools to see where are we, are we gaining, are we losing ground, because these battles do matter when the actual games are played during the season. Right, and recruiting is extremely significant to the success of a college football program. You have to have the raw materials in order to compete at the highest level. We've talked about that a lot. But just a reminder, this class isn't done, you know, who knows what's going to take place? A lot happened last year. Some of those guys didn't end up either enrolling because of academics or um, other weird things that happen. But there's still opportunity to add to the class. So to to come down too harshly on at this moment, I think would be uh, misguided. But we're just giving a snapshot of where we're at. Still more data to come in a couple of weeks. So I, I think if you look at where this class is right now versus where it was at the same point uh, last year after early signing day. Progress has been made. You eliminated that. You know, it's better rankings across the board, better quality of recruits, higher blue chip ratio. Um, so progress is being made. I think the question for me and that we're getting from a lot of people, is it coming fast enough? Is progress being made quickly enough? What do you think? The answer to that question is no, and, and the way that you answer that question is relative to your competitors. So you can't just gauge progress on your own, and I'll give you an example. In a vacuum, you could look at last year to this year and say, we made some progress. We are a better machine than we were last year. We have a more talented engine. We changed some parts out for some better parts. But if we don't look at what our other race cars in the track are doing, we really have no idea if we've made enough progress. So a simple example of this is, Let's say we make 10% progress, but all of our peers make 50% progress, right? We just lost out on a 40% gap. Whereas we could make 1% progress, our peers make no progress, that actually would be a benefit to us. So you have to look at it both ways. There's progress against yourself and there's progress against your rivals. It's not coming fast enough, Alan, for us, in my opinion, to be in a position where we could be expected to win an SEC title or even win a national championship because of the league that we're in and because of the teams we would have to play in order to win a national title, we will still be at a disadvantage. So let's walk through a system 
that we like to use on this podcast. This is the James Tier system. The James Tier system, if you will. Uh, I like my systems, I suppose. And the, the stars are nice. You know, Tyler loves to accuse me of being a stargazer, which I totally am. But I think the stars don't totally tell you the story, Alan, based upon size of class and a variety of other things. This, to me, is is like the blue chip ratio, which is, I think, overly simplified, which right. just tells you, take your five and four stars, divide them by everyone else. If the ratio is above 50%, you're on the right track. That's nice. This is going to go further in depth to really splice out these top teams. And so the way it works is actually very simple. To be a tier one recruiting class, you're going to need two or more top 30-ish guys. Now, I say 30-ish because some years the top 30 are different than others. You can kind of look at it and say... Right, and I think by that you mean kind of five-star guys, which there's not a set number of five stars as in the composite. It's not like every year the top 30 guys are five stars. It could be five, or I guess there could be 40. It's just however many there are in that class. Correct, and you might flex that a little bit. Basically, you need two elite players. And then you're going to need six plus in the top 100. So that includes your your two top 30s, right? So you have six total top 100 guys. And then in total, you're going to have 13 or more top 300 guys. That's a tier one class that can work in any given year in any given metric. A tier two class is just one step down from that. And that's going to be one top 30-ish player, four overall on the top 100, and 11 or more in the top 300 and then lastly, a tier three, and we'll stop at tier three because the further you go down these tiers, the less it matters for winning a title. Tier three, you may have one, but typically you're going to average, let's say, a half of a top 30 player, uh, two in the top 100, and eight in the top 300. And that's kind of how it goes. So you have these tiers, and you can slot these teams in tiers, and it's helpful to think about this. So back to our race car analogy, you need to be in the same tier as the other cars you're racing against. Otherwise, they will simply be faster than you. Now, maybe one of these cars wrecks, Alan. This can happen, right? There can be a faster car on the racetrack, but they can overheat and they can wreck. But if you have four or five of these cars that are all faster than you, it's hard for you to beat all of them. That's your problem, okay? So in Tier 1 this year, 2020 recruiting right now, you have Clemson and Ohio State. And then here you have three SEC teams, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Now, it doesn't take an astute observer to know that we will play two of those teams every single year, LSU and Georgia. So there's two cars that are ahead of you tier-wise, all right? Tier two, and this is a very high tier two team, is Texas A&M. We said when Jimbo Fisher got hired, they would continue to climb in the rankings. They are tier two, almost tier one. So there you have four SEC schools, Alan, that are almost tier one teams. Then you get to us, Auburn and Florida, which are almost the same kind of recruiting class. Auburn has more top 100s. You can make an argument our class could be better based upon other metrics, but for all practical purposes, they're the same. Texas, Oklahoma, and then Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is a small class right now that's actually very top-heavy. But regardless, these are kind of your tiers. So the way I look at this is where we are, Alan, we're consistently behind these schools we will play. So if you want to win a national title as Florida, what do you have to do? Well, you're going to have to probably beat Georgia. Now, there are some years where that may not happen, but most likely you got to beat Georgia. Then you're going to have to beat an SEC West opponent, which means you got Bama, LSU, A&M, and Auburn as perennial, you know, tier one or tier two or tier three. And thankfully, you probably won't have to play all those teams, but you'll probably have to play beat one of one them. Of them in the That'd be one of them. Game. All right. So that means that realistically, you have to win two out of three, right? If you play Georgia, LSU, and one of those teams in the SEC title, you got to win two of those three. Or you're probably not going to win the SEC. Then you go to a playoff where you're probably going to face at least one of a Clemson or an Ohio State. Or whoever moves into that sphere Correct. in the future. Correct. So that means that if you're going to be a tier three recruiting school, which we've consistently been under Dan Mullen. So although we made progress, Alan, we didn't progress out of tier three yet. 
We could do that before it's all said and done, but we haven't done that yet. That means that we, with lesser talent, with a slower race car, have to probably beat three out of these four race cars that are faster than us to win a national title. That can happen, but that takes a lot of things to go right for you. That takes almost a near-perfect season injury-wise, the right hits on recruiting at the right positions at the right time altogether, potentially a rival that has an off year. There's just a lot of stuff that has to go right for you. Yeah, it's interesting. The race car analogy, as I've thought about it, and you just brought this up, is kind of interesting. So you would think about maybe the recruits as the engine, as you've already said. Now, you could have a little bit better driver. Maybe you could do some stuff aerodynamically, a little tweaks here. But if your engine isn't good as good, it's going to be hard. Now, you could, through some skill and some tweaks around the edges there, you know, compete. But it's hard to do that game in, game out. Now, looking at, again, these are James's tiers. This isn't like, you're not going to find this anywhere else. You're getting this some exclusive content here. We're close to a tier two, right? One top 30 guy. Um, we do have 12 in the top 300. So that's higher than a tier three, but only four, only two in the top 100. So you move a couple of those guys from the, you know, high, you know, low 100s in the top 100, you're, you're there, you're, you're, you're closer, you're not getting up around tier one, but you're, so we're on the edge of that tier two type three. And again, this class isn't done yet. Um, so we could be in tier two, and that gets you a little bit closer. It increases your margin for error, it allows those other things that you do better than anybody else to be more advantageous. So it it's hard, though. Again, this is just the world we live in. If Florida is in the, you know, Pac-12, we're crushing people. We're basically printing our ticket to the playoff every year. And then all you, you have to win two of those games. But you don't have to survive the meat grinder. All of those teams in the SEC. Yeah, it's crazy to be number eight overall and six in the SEC in your own conference. That That's unfortunate for us, but that's what we have to navigate. That's life in the SEC. So, um the tier system, I think, is helpful, right? You could slice this data a lot of different ways, right? I mean, would you rather have, like, Clemson status where they have so many five stars but maybe trails off in the back end or certain classes? We have a ton of four stars, 16. That's a lot. There's a lot of that middle tier talent. We're, again, missing out on enough of the top tier talent, which is the same thing we said last year. We've got a guy named Gervin Dexter who is like the 31st whatever player in the composite. So he's right on the edge of the five-star. Some people think he should be a five-star. Great, right? You need more of those types of guys. The debate isn't whether he is or isn't a five-star or that we can't claim we have a five-star or not. He's awesome, He's theoretically, as a recruit. You want more of those type of guys, and I think that's what we're missing. So it's not that if Gervin Dexter, if you moved him up three points, then we're satisfied. I think you just need to see more of that type of movement. The elite guys that, and you said this last week, significant positions. Defensive tackle in the SEC is one of those type positions who can dominate a game. You look at Derrick Brown at, at Auburn, single-handedly affected games for them over the course of the season. So if you have those elite players at elite positions and that you hit on them, that's going to be the most meaningful thing, I think. Correct, correct. And hopefully this gives you a better way to think about recruiting. Again, you've heard Alan and I say a lot, we don't necessarily care that much about the individual player, which doesn't mean we don't want to break down the film and look how cool they are and do all the awesome, look at all the awesome stuff they're doing. It's just that in reality, if you hit enough of these macro numbers, 
you can assign a hit rate. And I'll finish up the tier conversation with this. For simple math purposes, let's just assign a really high hit rate, which is not true. Let's say 50%. Let's say that 50% of your top 30 players are going to become mainline starters on your team. Okay. Now let's assume, and we can apply this down the line, top 100, top 300. We're just going to illustrate this at the top end. So, you know, Allen is, is a better recruiter than me, and he's consistently tier one, and I'm tier three. So that means I'm getting half of a top 30 guy every year. So every two years, I have one guy. Allen is getting two every single year. So if you assume a 50% hit rate, by the end of four years, Allen has recruited eight total guys. Four of them are starters on his team as five stars, which means these are top level starters. On my team, I've only pulled in two total guys. I have one starter, one to his four. That is a huge, huge difference because those are the kind of guys that will win you a championship. And that's what we're looking at. It seems small. At times, it seems it seems too nitpicky. Well, you're, you're slicing this too tightly. Or it, 100 guys is the same as number 30. But that's not actually true. The five, the four, and the three star, although they're not perfect, over time, they do mold into this kind of triangle like we talked about. But most importantly, the tiers help you recognize, like we said, that you need the same engine parts as your opponent. If you're in the same hemisphere there, then your skills come into play. Like you mentioned, how well can I build this car? Maybe I can get a better driver. Uh, maybe I can put pieces together better. I'm more creative. Those things all matter a lot. But without the right engine, you're just too slow. And so we did make progress. It's discernible. It's true. We've made a lot of progress from McElwain, right? We've basically gone from like a team that was a three-star team to a team that's now a four-star team. But unfortunately for us, like you mentioned, we're not in the Pac-12. We're playing against a bunch of three-star rated teams. We're in the SEC where the teams we have to play are now consistently tier one recruiting teams for several years. LSU on the rise, A&M on the rise. Things are not getting easier for us. And so the I, team that we have to beat every year, UGA, probably if you're going to win two or three, one of them has to be UGA most years. Yeah, almost certainly. And now next year, as we've said before, shapes up to be a really interesting year for Florida because Georgia has a very tough schedule. It could be a transition year for them. We don't know yet. It remains to be seen. But you can see, hopefully, how to look at this. How to look at this. And that's one of the reasons, Alan, why Clemson was able to have a lot of success in their recruiting classes. Florida State Florida State happened to really collapse at the time Dabo was rising, which is very convenient. And now they out-recruit the ACC by a mile. So that's really helpful for them. If Clemson's in the SEC, are they as successful as they have been? Absolutely not. It's much harder to survive that, to not get your depth erased by injuries. We are not in the ACC. We are not in the Pac-12. So therefore, we have a much tougher road, which just means that Dan Mullen knows the task in front of him. He mentioned afterwards that his recruiting changes, especially with the defensive line coaches, made a big difference. As we talked about heading into the offseason, Alan, I feel like he could do that with one or two more coaches and really take us to that next level. You've already seen the rewards very quickly on the defensive line, getting maybe one of the better D-line classes we've ever had at this school. That's fantastic. We need a little bit, just a little bit more of that. I think Dan Mullen could consistently be a Tier 2 guy, and we could win a national championship. I don't think we could consistently be Tier 3 and win one. So that's why we splice these out. we got to get to Tier 2. we got to kind of stay there, I think, over the course of a three or four year period to really expect to be able to win a title. And I, the question that comes to my mind is like, you know, if and I'll go ahead and answer it myself, I think if we're, you're taking these high level classes and you're missing on these guys, they end up being busts. You, you're going to be outed. Like you'll be exposed as a guy who can't really either develop guys or you're missing on these guys recruiting at a high level and not winning will get you fired just as quickly as 
not recruiting well and losing. So, you know, if you are taking these guys who aren't that great and they're fake five stars and you miss on them, if you're not doing your correct evaluation, it's going to paint an even bigger target on your back. So, of course, you have to evaluate. But that gets going to get born out of time. That'll get exposed. If you have all these great players and you're not doing anything with them or you're missing on your evaluation. Now, again, if if it's possible to win without recruiting at the highest level, like if Dan Mullen took, I was like, hey, I've got my my guys. They're all three, maybe four stars. I don't care. And he goes out and wins a national championship. You go, good on you, Dan. Or anybody, literally anybody else, if they're able to do that. But so far, no one's been able to do that. So that's just the historical perspective. Um, if you came up with your own metric, you had your own advanced metric to identify players that just totally nullified whatever. Maybe it lined up with the recruiting services occasionally, but you were like, no, I know how to find these diamonds in the rough. I achieve this metric. Then if you can go out and prove it, congratulations. But that would go against what history has said. Correct. And that's kind of the, that's how we look at it yeah. here is that that's why we think the recruiting rankings do matter in aggregate is what you just said. No one's been able to build a really crafty algorithm or black box, if you will, that outsmarts all the other coaches when it comes to recruiting. This is also true in the NFL. If you look at the Patriots, why are they successful? They draft more players than everyone else does year over year over year, which gives them more chances to develop them. Do they identify good ones? Yeah, but they have plenty that wash out. They just happen to have Look at their more. second round wide receivers and defensive backs over there. They've taken a billion of them and missed on probably more than their fair share of them. So. Correct. And that gets lost a lot, but that is the essential storyline. Both Belichick and Saban are cut from the same cloth when it comes to developing players, which is have a lot of good players to develop. So that's important. All right. We do have some remaining needs in this class. We're not going to talk a lot about need filling. That's more obvious. Of course, when you're building a class, you can't just sign a bunch of top rated guys all at one position. You have to build in layers. There's some nuanced skill to that. We talked a lot about it last year. What are some of the gaps that we need to fill in this class? Well, and I think this is why it maybe caused such a fervor is we're missing out on some of the more, I don't know, dazzling kind of positions, the more uh, sexy kind of positions of running back wide receiver. So we haven't taken a running back yet. Only one wide receiver, really. I mean, they're, you could see one of these defensive backs or an athlete or whatever switch over to receiver. That's always a possibility. But a guy who has a wide receiver stamp next to his name, and he's a four-star. People like him. But none of the elite guys. Now, um, running back is interesting. Missed on maybe our biggest high-profile target, Demarcus Bowman, who went to Clemson. There's still several running backs out there. And I think you know Florida was wise, at least right now, to wait rather than take a guy who you don't feel great about wait and see if you can get one of these high rated guys. There's still several of them out there that you can focus in on and try to reel in. And then wide receivers, there's a lot out there. I would be in favor of us waiting, trying to get an elite level guy than just getting a body in here of that position. Um, like I said, cause you can take guys from the secondary and, or from running back position and move them over there and do something interesting with them. A lot of these guys could fill those if you were just going to take a, a guy. So I think at those spots, we want to be recruiting at an elite level. We're in the state of Florida. Wide receivers are a diamond dozen. So let's see if we can reel in some big ones. If we pull in a really high-end wide receiver and running back, I don't know if we will. 
think that will add to the overall success of this class in a way that's going to translate to the field. And this would be the curious case of Billy Gonzalez Allen is coming off a prolific year throwing the football. And it doesn't always work this way, right? It's a couple of years of relationships being built. You would think that wide receivers would be lining up to play in this offense. So maybe that would be in 2021. Maybe all the guys who are committed to this class didn't really matter what we did on the field this year because they weren't really even looking at it. They were already committed or they were leaning one way or the other. Um, but if we throw the ball again like we did next like we did this year next year, I think that hopefully paid dividends. We'll, we'll have to see. And that's a good point. Most of the kids that were generating attention and watching Florida play this season, they're not the class of 2020. That's the way recruiting works now. It used to be that could be possible. But like you said, those kids were way down the path. And maybe they turned ahead and thought, no, oh, that's really interesting. Florida's throwing the ball around. But that was already too little too late. Either way, Billy Gonzalez has not been a good record- recruiter. At Florida, wide receivers should be a layup. It should be easy. We've seen Mullen make a change on the D-line. It was very fruitful. Keep an eye on what happens in the offseason. we got a question, Alan. When do coaches typically get released? It's normally in that two- to three-week period after the bowl game in January. So if it happens, it would be then. Even then, it tends to be unlikely to do it then. Why? Because you have National Signing Day coming up. So those could also bleed into February. It's a weird time when it comes to changing assistants. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it gets brought up a lot. Certainly, we have a few guys who seemingly are not carrying their weight recruiting-wise. And again, if our engine is not as fast, we are at a disadvantage. Okay, before we talk about the Virginia game, Alan, let's close the book on recruiting. Let's open the book on Dan Mullen coaching the Dallas Cowboys. What do you make of this report? It was kind of out there. It's probably not super serious. Dan, I applaud him for being very honest and not giving the old Nick Saban line, I'm never leaving. I'm, I'm a Miami Dolphin for life, right? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm gone. <laughs> he basically says, hey, if the, if the Cowboys called me, I would listen. I would take that phone call. It's a very honest, genuine answer. Totally respect that. Do you see any chance that Dan Mullen coaches in the NFL next year? That's hard for me to envision that. He seems like he's so cut out for the college game. I interesting to see how NFL players would respond to him. I, I'm not saying that Dan Mullen couldn't do that. Certainly guys make the transition. Jimmy Johnson, you know, won championships in Miami and then won championships in Dallas. Certain guys maybe would excel at one or the other. I, I think I'm, I don't love the, Hey, move up to the big leagues, Nick Saban and coach at in the NFL. I don't think the skill sets are the same. You could be very successful in the NFL and fail in college and vice versa um, because of the different elements of what those jobs require. I don't know that Dan Mullen's cut out for the NFL. He could be great, but doesn't seem like that's his niche. So I would be surprised to see him leave. Now, if the Cowboys make him a godfather offer, he might have to jump just to see if he could do it. But I don't really see them going that direction. And I'm not an NFL insider, so if they hire Dan Mullen and I said I don't think they will, don't, don't hang me for that. But I don't know. What about you? I will tell you an interesting story, and this will be my answer to this question. So from more than one, what I would consider to be very inside source and friend of Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen is not an NFL guy. That's the quote. It's not an NFL guy. Loves the college game, loves having full control, loves working with the kids, loves having his wife involved. Most of the things Dan Mullen cherishes about college football do not exist in the NFL. 
With that being said, and I give Dan Mullen a lot of credit for his answer. I feel like it was very genuine. He said in response to it, will I know what I want five years from now is essentially what he was saying. Will that be appealing to me five years from now? I don't know. And I would go as far as to say this. I don't know that he ever thought about the NFL right now. I think if you look at Dan Mullen's coaching arc, he's in this part of his movie where he's proved himself. He now has the big job. He's working to win something, but he's clearly getting a lot of attention, which feels great. You're getting rewarded. You've done this a long time. Now you're really being seen as a guy who can do it. Now the Dallas Cowboys are potentially looking at you. There are a few things in life more flattering than that in your own profession. So you better believe he goes home, sits down, and thinks, what if they called me? That is definitely going through his head. And would I be interested? And it's entirely possible, Alan, for a human being to 50 days ago have said, I don't even want to coach in the NFL. Because that was a distant, unrealistic opportunity he was not seeking out. Then the NFL calls you. And all of a sudden, things are different. Because now you say, wait a minute, but this job is actually here. What would that entail? So I think he was being very genuine with his answer. He mentioned what it's like to coach in college. You get to be sort of the GM and everything else. I don't see him taking this now, but I think he did tip the cap to where if I were to have a conversation with some of those friends of mine, I bet now they might say, maybe Dan Mullen is more of an NFL guy now than we thought he would have been. Maybe that does hold some appeal for him down the road. Probably not yet. Could still be never. But I think, again, as you age, challenges you may want in life change. No one knows their future preferences until you're in the future. So I really applaud him for what I felt like was a very Dan Mullen, truthful, candid, good answer. Uh, and that's where I think we are. But I think it would be very surprising to just about everyone if he actually were to take this job. But again, the Dallas Cowboys come calling. You take that phone call. For sure. And this is an interesting movement in the NFL right now. Think about Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray in Arizona. NFL just being more willing to adapt adopt to these college kind of offenses. I think that's the future of offense. So if they're going to sign Dak Prescott to a billion dollar contract or whatever they're going to income to, maybe you should think about pairing with the college coach who got a lot out of him his senior year and made him, you know, an NFL draft pick and a, you know, Heisman kind of candidate. I understand that thinking. I think that's very short term kind of thinking. Uh, and again, we're on the front end of that experiment. Maybe if we're two years down the road, and this was coming up with the Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray. You'd be like, well, that was a dumb idea. But people are thinking about it because that's the current hot trend. I don't know if that's the best way to run a NFL team or organization. We'll see. So that, that's interesting. Again, I, I like that Dan was honest because he is going to take the call. So just a bit. I don't think Florida fans begrudge him that. So I, I love that he handled it that way. I think that. Um, is an admirable part of what he's dealing with the fans in the media. Indeed, and he does talk to Dak according to himself, right? He talks to Dak very frequently. I think even maybe as often as once a week, they have a little breakdown session, talk football together. So those two are closer than I would say even most college quarterback and coach relationships go. It is extended well into the NFL time for Dak Prescott. And I believe Dan Mullen has even said he's learned things from Dak about how the NFL attacks things. So that's a very symbiotic relationship. All right, let's close the book on Dan Mullen to the NFL. Let's open the book for this 2019 final chapter, Florida's final opponent, which of course will be in 2020, Virginia. Walk us through the setup here, Alan. 
So Virginia is nine and four. They're number twenty-four. They squeak into the into the rankings there. Florida number eleven, ten and two. This is a interesting matchup. I'll use the word interesting in quotes here. The reason these two teams are matched up because of the traditional bowl tie-ins. Not somebody we've played a lot. In fact, only once. Nineteen fifty-nine. Florida wins fifty-five to ten. I'm sure you guys already all knew that. Uh, such an interesting factoid. So Virginia season that very strong season for the ACC, right? So they won their division in the ACC, played Clemson in the ACC title game, beat FSU, lost to Miami very close, got drubbed by Clemson, right? So they're the best of the rest, and they're nowhere close to Clemson. We saw that in the game. Um, UVA has not traditionally been a football powerhouse. This is one of their high watermarks, right? Uh, and with that, they're not an extremely talented team. 59th in the five-year recruiting talent composite. So I'm sure that that is ascending. Only one four-star. So if you're complaining about our recruiting, this is where the other half lives. We're 16th um, for reference. 14 returning stars for them. Six on offense, eight on defense. Uh, their coaching staff, Bronco Mendenhall, the head coach. His OC, Robert Anay. That's how you say his name. And D.C., Nick Howell, all these guys imported from BYU. When Virginia hired Bronco Mendenhall, I think it was surprising because people didn't think he was going to leave. But I thought that was a very astute hire by Virginia. And he's had the kind of success that I thought he would. He's not blowing the doors off, but he is an excellent football coach. And that was a great hire for Virginia, who was struggling to even be competitive. And now they certainly are. Here they are in the Orange Bowl. So... The number one thing you have next to them in your film analysis is discipline team. And that doesn't surprise me at all with Bronco Mendenhall's reputation. They're a very solid football team. They're not a very talented team, but they're a very solid team. All right, let's start with their offense. When you observed it, what did you notice? Well, you think of them like that car we talked about. You can see they are not talented. One four-star. Yet they're beating teams that were much more talented than them. We talked about Florida State, a team that was more talented than us. That's a car without a driver. So you have to have all of these things. So again, Bronco Mendenhall is proving his medal here as a football coach. He's only going to go as far as his recruiting goes. But if you keep winning at Virginia like this, he will not be at Virginia for long. Sure. Somebody else will look at him. It's fantastic, fantastic year. Largely led by Allen, their quarterback, Bryce Perkins who is a fantastic runner and an adequate thrower. He has good throwing numbers. That's primarily because he plays against ACC competition, but he's already rushed for 745 yards this year. He's a prolific runner. In fact, he's very much like a Dan Mullen kind of guy, if you look at him. And their offense is, a this year, a, a reverse Dan Mullen, if you will. So they pass the ball 55% of the time, and they run it 45% of the time. They're a terrible running team, kind of like us. The Which way is they, odd because you, they... You would think that they want to run the ball. They're trying to run the ball. They're just not being successful at it. Correct. And that's why it's kind of funny is they really, Dan Mullen and Bronco Mendenhall, they have a very similar offensive philosophy. BYU would run a more traditional run set spread than Dan Mullen would, but that's primarily because they wouldn't have had the talent to spread teams out. So UVA spreads you out. They're not good at running the ball. They pass way more than they run. Uh, They are a top 40 passing team. They do give up a lot of sacks, primarily because Bryce will try to buy time. They're a very, very solid time of possession team. 
which is interesting given how much they are passing the football. And of course, Bryce Perkins running the football is really the threat that opens them up the most because he can run, because he can make plays. He changes how you defend them. And oddly enough, it's kind of funny. We don't run a lot of quarters coverage or cover four, but they are absurdly good this season against cover four. We will probably never run that against them. But if you were playing them, you'd stay out of that. They do really well against that. Cover four is commonly used to stop a running quarterback. So they have obviously schemed up some really good things to beat that. Uh, No concern for us there. So look for Virginia to try to control time of possession, which right. is what they did with Clemson. Sit on the ball, try to bleed the clock. They're less Take talented. Take everything down under five seconds. Snap the ball. Try to throw safe, short to mid-range passes. Try to have Bryce Perkins get loose a little bit and expect them to run, I would say, at least four or so trick plays in this kind of game to try to steal yards, steal plays. Uh, they're familiar going up against Clemson with trying to kind of throw some haymakers. I expect them to tweak that plan even further to try to do something a little different than what they did, knowing Florida will just look at Clemson's game plan and largely copy it. Uh, so interesting thing about Bryce is they spread the ball very evenly to their three best receivers. In fact, all three of them have over 65 catches each. And then from there, it kind of falls off a cliff. The tight end is basically irrelevant, and they do throw the ball quite a bit to their fullback, especially in the red zone. These are all very obvious things on film. Uh, it should not surprise our coaching staff one bit. But they are very disciplined. They execute their plays well. Of course, what gets them in trouble is teams can play. What we should play against them is a lot of cover one, cover three, a lot of man underneath. They just don't have the athletes to get separation. So Bryce has to either buy time in the pocket or you have to kind of blow a coverage for them to really get something big on you. And then without a running game, to speak of handing the ball off, you're, you're sort of one-dimensional. Right. It's been kind of interesting to watch this offense this year. And I've, I've clued into them a couple times, but... I mean, they are theoretically a run-heavy team. This They've been playing left-handed a little bit all year because Bryce Perkins can do so many different things and he can win you a game by himself, quote-unquote. Um, but if they could run the ball, they'd be way more dangerous. But teams are just tr- conditioned to not let them do that, and they found a way to be just successful enough passing the ball. But you can tell that they would really love to be running the ball down your throat. They're just not able to do it. No, they can't. And so I think if you look at what Florida should do, it's blitz. Clemson actually started the game against UVA. They had not played them during the season. And they played a, a, a typical cover one or a cover three. Uh, they played man. They didn't blitz. They kind of trusted their front four. And Virginia had accounted for that by putting an extra blocker in. And they actually were rather successful. Drove right down the field. Wound up throwing a pick in the end zone. As the game went on, Clemson just adjusted how often they were bringing pressure. And, and Bryce Perkins, his Achilles heel is pressure. If he's in the pocket being pressured with no obvious escape angle... He's like most quarterbacks that aren't true, like a Kyle Trask would be. He is not going to stand in there and keep his eyes on the field. He's going to lob one up. He's going to throw it to the first go route he sees. He's a panicker under pressure if you make sure your gap control on the edge is key. Set the edge. By setting the edge, we mean that your outside rushers don't go way up the field and go past him. They don't take inside angles where he can roll outside of them. He quickly sees, hey, I can't outrun that D end who's waiting for me to go out there. I see a guy coming in my face. I'm going to panic. And that's what Clemson really did against him. They really amped up the blitzing. So expect a lot of blitzes. We should definitely do that against them. Expect a lot of changes in the back end coverage, but with man coverage primarily underneath. And of course, as we've been getting very used to doing this season, uh, and hopefully now with a dime package much better at, make sure you employ a spy. You have to spy him. You cannot just allow him to know that, hey, no one's accounting for me as the quarterback. And when you spy him, you have to be a little creative. UVA, much like Dan Mullen, has some nice plays that will have a blocker sneakily kind of late block your spy. 
And so if they do a quarterback run that comes up a pass, he's not going to get blocked right away. And all of a sudden, that guy gets blocked in a spot he doesn't see, and Bryce is taking 10, 12, 13 yards. They had a lot of success against Clemson with this. So I expect us to kind of continue to do what we've been doing this season to work on that. And let's see, Alan, if our defense continues the progression we have been seeing them make a lot more dime, making sure we have the more effective spy in the middle of the field. A lot of the things we had seen towards the end of the year, this game will be actually a really good test game. Do we continue with that? Or do we sort of go back to what's comfortable for Grantham? Uh, this should be a nice a nice exposition on that. Right. Uh, I don't think this offense scares me at all. If we're able to keep Bryce Perkins under wraps, right? If we don't allow him big quarterbacks runs, if we're not, like you said, not setting the edge or doing stupid things, like not tackling him in the open field, I'm anticipating a lot of Ventrell Miller blitzes up the A-gap, interesting things we're doing with the spy. Like you said, they're creative. They're they're manufacturing these yards when they can because they're stylistically, they're not set up to do what they're doing and they're doing it anyway. Um, so they will beat you. If you're not prepared and if you're not playing hard, they will beat you. Um, I, I do feel like we're set up well to contain them. We've shut down these types of offenses before and, Perkins is not like a giant guy where you send a blitzer and he just like Ben Roethlisberger sheds him. Um, but he is an athletic guy who will beat you. So we'll see how our players handle this. I It doesn't feel like too complicated a thing that we're asking them to do, but can they execute it on it? Bowl season is always an enigma. We'll get to that in a minute. All right, you ready to talk about the UVA defense? I sure am. They're a top 40 rushing defense, which – largely mythical facing a bunch of ACC teams that really aren't that good. Again, if you're really disciplined and you're facing teams that are the same race car category as you, you're going to be very successful stopping them. That's kind of been the story for them. Uh, They're a middling pass defense. Oddly enough, they generated a ton of sacks in the ACC, a ton of sacks again against Clemson. They actually got some pressure at times. So they are, they are potent enough up front. That will pose a, a problem for us. Obviously, our weakness is certainly our offensive line, although it's gotten better pass blocking, still not great. So that's a matchup I think they have that they'll look at and like. For them, they're primarily a cover three team. They will play man more than you expect for a team that doesn't have a lot of talent. But primarily when you don't have a lot of talent, what should you do? You should mix your looks up a lot. And out of all the teams I've evaluated this year, Alan, they played the most coverages which makes sense that's actually really smart i would expect a good right and if you have really good coaching staff and you have players who can learn it that's great they're doing exactly what you expect them to do and highlighting their strengths Uh, i think that's really interesting you talk about maximizing your resources bronco mendenhall is a type of coach you would expect to do that and that largely plays out for virginia again sometimes they just get out talented but um this is a team if you're not ready again they'll think they'll punch you in the mouth like, they're not going to not come hard in this game. So how does Florida respond to that on offense as well as on defense? I think their defense generating sacks, a lot of that is from, you know, confusing you. So do we get confused? They don't have, like, these monster edge rushers necessarily who are going to, you know, out-physical you on every snap. But they can create some interesting looks that can confuse you a little bit because of, like you said, they're mixing up what we're doing. Hopefully Kyle Trask can diagnose that. Hopefully our offensive line hands up, makes the right handoffs, does the things that we're expecting to do to allow us to 
remain productive on offense. And Dan Mullen, of course, has had a lot of success when he faces teams with inferior talent. All of a sudden, the offensive linemen and others, especially pass blocking, look a lot better. This is a nice matchup of coach versus coach, both of them very similar. Discipline, consistency, they get that out of their teams. Uh, as an example of this last part of UVA's defensive strategy, they rarely play a cover two. And the reason for that is, and this is quite interesting, I'm not sure how many football fans know this, but to play a cover two effectively, you actually have to be really athletic. You, you can play a cover three and a cover four and be a lot less athletic, which is why a lot of high schoolers favor that. Now, cover three's become the soup du jour in football because I think tactically it's just better against spread offenses. But if you want to play a cover two, as the NFL still plays quite a bit of, you have to be very athletic. And, and the a linebacker they, who can drop. Correct. Correct. Or if they have two safeties who you really trust to split the field and communicate with your corners. And, of course, they don't play a lot of that, which, again, to me is a sign of good coaching. They're confusing you, but they're not going to take a suicide pill because if you're wrong on cover two, it's probably a touchdown, especially against modern spread offenses. We've talked about that as well. So, again, everything on film you see, Alan, very sound, very smart. Uh, Florida's offense, what should they do? They should just be Florida's offense. There's really nothing Virginia can do to stop us. The benefit of having a throwing quarterback, like we've said all year long, that reads the game so well, nothing Virginia does will surprise Kyle Trask. He's seen every possible back-end coverage, every possible combination of what's going on. It doesn't mean he couldn't have a rare play here or there where they get him, but this is not a quarterback who's like, wow, all year long I've seen these two coverages, now I'm going to get all these crazy coverages by a disciplined team. He's seen everything. There's nothing you can throw at him he has not seen. So to me, offense and defense, obviously, were, were vastly superior to Virginia. They are a very disciplined team, as is typical when you get stuck. I'm going to call it stuck in these tie-in matchups where you're going to get a second team in the ACC that obviously got crushed by an elite team. How'd they get there? Because they were really disciplined. They were really solid, facing a very solid Florida team that's just a little under-talented to win it all, but is certainly vastly more talented than Virginia. And is also, of course, very disciplined. Penalty-wise, Allen, things look the same. Turnover-wise, things look the same. We'll talk about the injuries, but I want to talk about the elephant in the room that's always here, is motivation. Virginia's motivation in this game is their best weapon. They're sky high. They have nothing to lose. If they lose to us 62-17, to they're not even going to care. They went to the Orange Bowl. They already got smashed by Clemson. It's not really going to matter to them because at the end of the day, Bronco Mendenhall took Virginia to the Orange Bowl. That's a tremendous accomplishment. That makes them dangerous in a game like this. On our side, what's the motivation? There isn't one. From what I've heard on the inside, our players don't want to play in the Orange Bowl. They really don't care about this game at all. That means the coaches have to do a stellar job getting them to play this game for one thing and one thing only, the sake of improving themselves for either their NFL career or the final season. That's it. That's hard. Or the next season, rather. That's a hard thing to motivate someone for. When the game itself is not something that matters to these 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, much harder to get them to work hard. Whereas for them, this is a dream. They're playing against Florida, a school they've all heard of, a school they know, in an Orange Bowl in the state of Florida. So how do you feel about the emotional optics of this one, Florida versus Virginia? Yeah, I don't think this is as big of a letdown as a team where you're hoping into the final weekend you're going to make the playoff and you just miss it, like a Georgia or a Utah or something like that. We knew that we were we're kind of excited that we ended up in a New Year's Six game, I think. We still value that as a program, as a benchmark. So this is not like the extreme version of that. But Virginia is not a sexy name. They're not a team that our players think about, oh, it would be cool to measure ourselves 
against, let's say, Texas, right? Either Texas is bad. Uh, it's still Texas, right? There's still some cachet to that name. Virginia has no cachet. They're not a even a weird team like, oh, they run this crazy offense or this crazy defense. You know, I think this is where you find out a little bit of how competitive your players are as individuals and as a team. I know, like, we hang out with a group of competitive people. When we play a, a stupid game with zero, nothing at stake, and nothing at stake, no one watching, we're going to try to win, right? We're going to eh, – maybe we're not going to fling our bodies with abandon into something, but we're trying our hardest. There's not like, oh, I don't care at all. So if it's a game, if there's a competition and your players are competitive, I think they want to win. I say this all the time, though. It's not necessarily the day of. Like, I think for a lot of guys, the day of, they wouldn't want to win. But what have they been doing in the previous three weeks? Have they been eating right? Have they been training? Have they been paying attention when the coaches talk about what Bryce Perkins does on film? That will matter. Uh, And sometimes you see these teams wake up a little bit and they go, oh, maybe I should have listened or I'm tired or whatever. Bowl games are not representative for these teams. So we're going to talk about uh, a lot of bowl games there. I think they're really fun. It's still college football. Some of these games are extremely important to these teams. Other games with elite programs are not. I would say we're like in a medium motivation because it's still a New Year's Six game for us because of the way our program is constructed currently. I, I think you will see us give some effort. I don't think it's a total like we don't care at all, but it's not – uh, high moment game for us. So I guess that evens out a little bit. Yeah, I think the biggest benefit for us here again, and we're just going to cite this because he's our MVP, is Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask has had his eye on next season really since we lost to Georgia. He's been looking towards, I want something more. Every loss he took, he was not satisfied. He did not feel good about whatever he did. It was, I want something more. And you've heard the team respond to, although he's not a really vocal guy, that level of dedication to improving. And if you want to be the best at anything, you have to enjoy the progression in and of itself. Your opponent is merely a chance for you to display how much you've progressed. And I know for sure that's what Dan Mullen is trying to instill in this team. And here we are in year two, concluding year two, where he should be starting to have that happen. And that's what you want. If you're a leader on the team, you're saying, look, it's not about Virginia. It's about, are we getting better as Florida? This is a chance for us to spend three weeks of practice together to then go onto a field against an opponent and display how much better we are sending the seniors out and then also sending ourselves into next season. And I do think when you have a guy who's going to be here next year in Trask, when you have some guys like Pitts and others who are notable who are going to be here next season, there's a different level of hunger. So I agree with you, although I think the team is not really excited about either the Orange Bowl or playing Virginia, the fact that a lot of our most important players are still going to be here next year changes the optics of what's happening. The really big danger zone to me in these bowl games is when you get a team that's either senior-laden or NFL-bound, they get that letdown at the end, and they don't want to play. And I'll give you a very simple example right now. That is the case of Alabama versus Michigan, right? You're looking at multiple of their players not wanting to play. Super disappointing season. Michigan is hyped out of their mind to play this game. It's like they they enter the Super Bowl, and Alabama would rather just not play it at all. So that's like an extreme mismatch of motivation. I agree with you, Alan. We're not there. And I also think Virginia just isn't anywhere in our hemisphere skill-wise. This does not feel to me like a game where Virginia would even upset us. And we'll get to the picks in a second. But 
Either way, it's always good to talk about that with the bowl game because I think that probably matters more often uh, than not in these non-playoff games. Sort of who's motivated, who's staying, who's going, who are your leaders? Are they all gone? Are they staying? And certainly, Alan, to end this point, we saw that with Michigan last year versus Florida. You saw a team that was crushed emotionally. They had no desire to play the game against us, and we wanted to kill them. And that's exactly how that played out. Sure. And that was a much closer physical matchup, right? So the motivation comes into play even more. Now, like if we're playing, you know, Sunbelt team, I think our players could probably not really care at all and still win. But I don't know. I, I feel like Dan Mullen and this coaching staff will have them at least maybe not ready to run through the wall, but to show up and play. That's my expectation. We'll see if that plays out. Okay, injuries. Zuniga, Bernie, probably back. Again, we'll say probably because it's Dan Mullen coach lingo. Grenard said that he's going to play. Jeremiah Moon still out. C.J. Henderson not playing this game in preparation for the NFL draft. Uh, Sean Davis questionable to probable. We'll have to see. I'm sure that they're not going to risk him for next season if they feel like this is going to something that's going to really hamper him. But if he looks good, I'm, he'll probably play is my read of the situation. Okay, James, Any we've talked a lot about motivation. Any other keys to the game? I've got two to watch. One is going to be Bryce Perkins' third down conversion rate running. Wow. So we mentioned this with Joe Burrow when we played LSU, and he yeah. stole a couple of us. This game will be over easily if he doesn't get third and six, third and ten, third and whatever, rushing first downs. If you consistently make him pass for those, especially with us blitzing, that's not going to happen. So the key stat to Virginia's offense is if they wanted to be competitive for a long time, he's going to be stealing those from us to keep drives alive. Keep an eye on that. And on our offense, it's passing yards. This should be a team we can throw for over 300 passing yards on. If for some reason we struggle to do so, it would be a struggle. They are competent against the run. We've proven we cannot run on anyone. So they're certainly capable of stopping us there. Uh, So I think you look at our passing yards plus 300. And really for them, they're going to have to steal first downs with Bryce's legs. Those are the two keys to the game to me. You could put all the other usual stuff in there, but I think if those two move in one direction or the other, it's going to dictate how the game will go. That's funny. I said, wow, because that was for sure my biggest is third down rushing from Perkins. Like, can Does he break the pocket and pick up a lot of yards either through failed blitz attempts or designed or even just him scrambling out of adverse situations. I think that's going to be by far the most interesting aspect of the game. The whole game is going to come down to that. And then offense, I was going to say number of sacks that Kyle Trask takes. If he's under pressure and not able to effectively navigate the pocket because there's too much pressure, um, that could slow us down. Maybe there's some fumbles. Maybe there's some interceptions. That's the kind of stuff that would really impede us from winning the game. Again, I, I think we can still pitch it and catch it, right? So it's not, again, we have to show up and road grade the other team and we're, you know, not feeling it, so we don't do it. I'm interested to see which lineup we roll out there with the offensive line. They've had some bowl practices. Do they go ahead and make a change or do they just keep going with what they did this season and wait till spring practice to change anything? Well, that'll be of slight interest to me. I don't know if it'll have an effect one way or the other on the game. Okay, you ready to make a prediction? I'm ready. Florida's favored by 15. I love this line. I don't bet bowl games. They're not worth betting because you never know. But I, I love this line. If this were the regular season, I would be all over this thing. I think that's way too low, especially, again, with a consistent quarterback. 
I like Florida to win this game a lot to a little. I'm going to take 42-13. Okay, I'm going to dampen that a little bit, but take a similar score of 33-13. I just feel like they're going to take a lot of the air out of the ball. They're going to eat the clock. I don't know that we're going to have the number of possessions that would allow us to really torch them. But I could see that. I just feel like they're going to have such trouble scoring. They really struggle to score against Clemson, Miami, any of the defenses that could really put the clamps on them. So outside of big turnovers for us, I don't see them scoring that much. And, again, 42-13 wouldn't surprise me, but I think the number of possessions might be limited this game because of how much time possession they use. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find a way that they could win. There's been games where even playing Florida State, they were so bad. We felt so confident. You could create crazy storylines where with their talent, maybe they were competitive. You could look at other teams we played, like even South Carolina, right? We were playing them. You could find ways they could be competitive. Virginia is completely overmatched. Just it a would bad take match up, too. A heroic effort for them to beat us. Our strengths are really phenomenal against their weaknesses, and they only really have, like we said, maybe one you play fantasy football and you get the check marks on your team versus someone else's, they might have one maybe check mark and we have the other 10. So right. we take a really significant effort, uh, which, which again, doesn't mean it can't happen this bowl season, but I don't see it happening. Dan Mullen is a very, very good preparation guy. He's not the kind of players coach guy that sometimes you get wonky bowl results when stuff is over. I would expect this to go close for a while in the first quarter. A lot of hype, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. It's been a long time since anyone's played and then move into where I think the better team takes control. Right. If they were an excellent run team and we were deficient at stopping the run, even if we were way more talented than them, I could see that game getting away from us because we don't either have the physicality and we're lacking the effort. This matchup feels bad for Virginia. Even if you took away like the talent breakdown, the what we're good at, what they're good at, feels like it's so heavily in our favor that it's hard to find a way to – Pick them. Now, if they were inside the spread, I wouldn't be shocked by that. But for them to win this game feels like it would be a really weird game or a Herculean effort. Now, again, we could just not show up, but that doesn't seem like the most likely outcome. It does not. Let's run through the bowl games. First, the ones that have already happened, where I can't wait for you all to hear how well I have done on my bowl picks thus far. Hopefully, you are just backing up the Brinks truck and betting everything you had. No, I'm totally kidding. Hopefully you bet nothing on these bowl games. But at any rate, uh, if you want to, mybookie.ag is your spot. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sport book. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code GatorNation to activate the offer. That's promo code GatorNation. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. I can't even look at this number, Alan, but I can't wait for you to say it. I was red hot last week and I have falling off the cliff this week well these early balls are especially kooky <laughs> it's like we've not watched any of some of these teams so it's almost impossible we we're doing it just purely for fun i went a very respectable five and three james went an even better one and seven so if you were fading james's picks you made a lot of money um i i when i looked at this i was before I, you know, we got to really prepping. I was like, I don't know. What did I do? Did I go one and seven? So I had no confidence in what I was doing either. Um, but let's run through it just so we can say these bowl names again. Probably that's our biggest motivating factor here. The makers wanted Bahamas bowl. Buffalo defeats Charlotte 31 to nine. 
I took a chance. We said, it's funny, this was the optic, right? Buffalo is the established program, and they're uh-huh. good. And Charlotte's the up-and-comer that's excited. This is kind of like Florida, Virginia to me. Like, the team that's been good for a long time, even if they don't care, has been good for a long time. And I don't know a lot about Charlotte. It doesn't matter. I'm sure that's how it went. Well, in these smaller teams, they're still motivated against the other smaller team. So the motivation factor is lessened. The Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Ball, Utah State falls to one of the fun storylines of the year, Kent State, 41-51. This was surprising and and good for Kent State. No disrespect to them, but Utah State was a good football team and played against good competition, and they they cap off a nice win there. New Mexico Bowl, the Fighting McIlwains fall to San Diego State, 11-48. Really a a tough finish for McIlwain. His star sort of rose. All of a sudden, people pay attention. He loses his conference championship game. He gets destroyed by San Diego State. Uh, my only win was San Diego State. At least I stuck with them. Good job. The FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl, Liberty. Man, nice result from Liberty. The Flames and Hugh Freeze. Has, I don't know if Hugh's gotten out of that hospital bed yet. We'll see. Um, they beat Georgia Southern 23-16. to Yeah, Hugh Freeze doing what he does. That That's a win against a very well-established program. Uh, much more established than Liberty. That's an excellent season. Excellent, excellent win for them to end. Cherubundi, Boca Raton Bowl, SMU gets annihilated by FAU 28-52. This was the shocker. We actually had someone post on Twitter kind of joking about this, thinking this was also the lock of the bowl season. And this is why bowls are kooky. SMU and FAU, you know, similar talent. You could argue FAU had more talent, but Lane Kiffin leaves, kind of the heart and soul of that team. A lot of of turnover in the coaching staff, presumably. Doesn't matter. They destroy SMU. In fact, holding SMU to one of their lower outputs of the season. The Camellia Bowl, FIU, your pick, goes down to the Red Wolves of Arkansas State, my pick, 26-34. to 34. Utmost confidence in Arkansas State. How could you pick FIU? Yeah, same thing, though. Arkansas State established program consistently good, and FIU, new under Butch Davis, trying to be good. Good game there. Good game down to the end, but either way, another loss Yeah, I was just me. kidding. It was a total coin flip by me. Um, all right, the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl. A lot of attention on this bowl because it's Chris Peterson's last game facing the team that he re- helped raise to prominence, and they go out and slaughter them. Washington wins 38-7. to Yeah, I pick up my heart here saying, wouldn't it be great if Boise State beat Chris Peterson in his last game? But that was not going to happen. Washington is vastly more talented than Boise State. They run similar stuff. Not surprisingly, the big brother beats the little brother. All right, the R plus L Carriers New Orleans Bowl. App State does not cover, but they do win. They beat UAB 31-17. Yeah, nice work by you to pick UAB. I thought App State would cover that. It was close. They almost covered it. They did not. So your 17-point line fails you again. I know. It's funny we had mentioned that. I think I'm going to have to do a little more research on the yeah, high Run some metadata. Feed it into your way. Because yeah. that, that's turning out not to be Feed true. it into your supercomputer that you use to make all your investments. So Yeah, and the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl which we've already picked, has both of us on Marshall when UCF's a 17-point favorite. So let's see if that one holds up. Now let's look at the bowl games we have not picked yet. We'll go through these rather quickly, so don't worry if you're at this part of the segment saying, I don't really care about the Bulls. Actually, we don't care about the Bulls either. But you know what we do like doing? Reading the bowl names. Because nowadays, that's pretty exciting. And college football is always fun. I like more bowl games. I don't have to pay for them. And if they're on, that's fun. All right. The SoFi Hawaii Bowl which is great because guess who's in that bowl? Hawaii. Playing BYU. BYU is a one-point favorite. I'm going to take BYU this game for no other reason than they feel like they probably want a good showing in Hawaii. They recruit well out of there. 
They do, and that's why this game is actually really interesting. Kind of a rivalry of sorts. Hawaii is really hard to beat on the mainland, so I'm going to take Hawaii. Walk-on Independence Bowl, or the walk-ons, where you have Louisiana Tech versus Miami. Miami is favored by six. I don't know at all in this game. Uh, which Miami shows up, I don't know. I'll take La Tech in this game. I like that. I think that Manny Diaz really wants to win this game, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Miami for no other reason than that. All okay. Right. You, you believe in my Manny Diaz real quick? I don't really believe in him yet. I, I don't not believe in him. I, okay. I think that he stitched together a decent season from a, a season that was going way downhill. It wasn't good, but it also wasn't horrible. And I don't know yet. Is what I'm, I'm not saying. ready to cut bait on him by any Correct. means. Correct. I but don't know yet. I don't know if you just had a especially strong feeling one way or the other. I don't. I'm just kind of thinking. You know, he kind of. I, I have respect when like kind of the wheels like Tennessee. When the wheels fall off your season, which they did with Miami, and you kind of like bring the team around and win some games and stay competitive, and it was it was again it was bad. They lost some games. They lost to FIU. I mean, I am not on this train. Right. It wasn't saying, a clean upswing like Tennessee. It was no, very up and down. No, no, no. It's ugly. It's hard to know. I'm just like you know, this okay. might be a game they win. Defense might get enough done here. I again, I would I wouldn't touch that game at all, and have no real faith on Manny Diaz other than maybe there's some progress there. Hard to know. All right, Pitt the national champions of 2019, as we should have mentioned, for taking down UCF. We'll play against Eastern Michigan. Pitt's an 11-point favorite. Yeah, don't don't sleep on the quick lane bowl here. Uh, I'm going to take Eastern Michigan. They've played some of the bigger programs tough. Uh, they're interesting to me. They have, and as much as I want to pick the national champions of 2019, I can't do it. I'm going to take Eastern Michigan instead. The military bowl presented by Northrop Grumman. There Thanks, Northrop Grumman. I'm glad you. you're presenting that. Appreciate that. North Carolina, the Fighting Mac Browns, favored by five over Temple. Always a tough out. Yeah, North Carolina feels like they're ascending. A lot of young players still looking to put their mark on that program. I'll take North Carolina. I like that pick a lot. You get the established coach coming into a program. He really wants to win that bowl game. But Temple's been a, a pretty good saboteur, so I'll take Temple. New Era Pinstripe Bowl. Michigan State. Three and a half point favorites over Wake Forest. I couldn't take Michigan State over anybody just because I don't know if they're going to score three or more points in a game. Give me those Demon Deacons all day. Totally agree with that. Stay away from Michigan State in, in all betting formats. All right. Academic Sports Plus Outdoors Texas Bowl. This matchup is interesting. <laughs> this is kind of a fun one. I like, I like this, this one. matchup. Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy versus Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. A&M favored by seven. Man, I really don't have a, a feel or read on this. Um. I wish this line was lower so that I could feel better about Texas taking Texas A&M. I'll go ahead and take the Aggies, though. I'm taking the Aggies as well. San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. USC, still coached by one Mr. Hilton, going up against Iowa, where Iowa is favored by two. <laughs> this is a hilarious matchup in, I think, two opposite personalities of programs. But, man... Anytime Iowa goes up a, against a much more talented team, they struggle. So I'll, I'll take USC. I will for the same exact reasons you will. Good pick. Cheez-It Bowl. I love that Cheez-It has a bowl. I hope the players get like a year's worth of supply of cheez Yeah, good for them. In this case, it's Air Force favored by three over Mike Leach and Washington State. I was surprised that Air Force was favored by three in this game. You know, maybe not opposite personalities. Well, maybe, but definitely opposite playing styles. This feels so weird. I could see any result coming out of this game. Ooh, I'll take Washington State. 
Washington State has lost a ton of close games this year. They tend to do very well against teams that are in their same talent range. I will also take Washington State. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl, Memphis, Mike Norvellis, Memphis, taking on Penn State. Penn State favored by seven. Again, balancing the the coaching loss of Memphis versus the motivation factor for Penn State feels really up in the air. And this is a big bowl. This is a cotton the Cotton Bowl. So this is a New Year's Six Bowl. How does Penn State respond to that? Oh, man. It, the number's low enough that I'll take Penn State. I'll take Penn State as well here. Uh, also, James Franklin once coached in the state of Tennessee. Memphis was not a team he, I believe, ever played against. But either way, maybe a small little, hey, I'm still the king of Tennessee. If you win at Vanderbilt, where can you not win at? Camping World Bowl, Notre Dame, favored by four, Allen, over your favorite, Matt Campbell and the Iowa State. Give me those clones all day. Back Put some up. ducats down. I mean, I think Iowa State is supremely motivated in this game. They're excited to come to Florida, play Notre Dame. Notre Dame, do they care? I doubt it. I don't think they do care. Notre Dame has done a good job of beating teams that are not quite in their pedigree. I think talent-wise, this is a pretty even matchup with Notre Dame having you know a few better guys here and there. I like your pick of the clones to go against you. I'll pick Notre Dame. All right. Uh, the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, Western Kentucky favored by 3.5 over Western Michigan. No clue. So I'm going to take the fact that Vegas likes Western Kentucky, and I'll, I'll put my money on them. And like quick, think of who's consistently been better in Western Kentucky. So I'm going to go with the more consistently better program. All right, Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. It's a nice one. Mississippi State, Louisville. Um, Mississippi State favored by four. Hmm. This feels like a really compelling matchup. I don't know that there's – like a lot riding on it. I don't, I don't think it's a high profile game. I think if you watch this game, it'll be a pretty good game, man. Uh, I feel like I could go either way on this. I'll take Mississippi state though. I will take Mississippi state as well. The red box bowl, which red box still a thing. Who knew you can still get movies. Yeah. Red box Cal minus six and a half against Illinois. Lovey Smith brings his beard to the red box bowl. Cal playing close to home, I think, is where this game is, although I'm not sure. Um, I'll take Cal. I'm going to take the beard, because why not? Is that a magical season? Why don't you cap that off with a magical bowl win? All right, Alan, you take us through the rest of these. The always fun Belk Bowl. I feel like this is always a good one every year, no matter what. And it's a decently fun one here. Virginia Tech favored by three against those Kentucky Wildcats. This is actually a very fun one because, again, Kentucky, I think, is still going to start Lynn Bowden Mm -hmm. at quarterback, which is ridiculous against a surging Virginia Tech team. But I got to take the ACC in these ACC. I mean, I take the SEC in these ACC versus SEC matchups, even though, again, in bowl games, throw it all out the window. I still can't come away from it. With enough time to prep for Kentucky, does that matter? I don't know if it does, but I'll still take Virginia Tech. like that. Okay, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl featuring the fighting Seminoles of Florida State versus Herm Edwards-led Arizona State. The Sun Devils favored by four. This is my new favorite bowl, by the way. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. I mean, come on. If that's not an incredibly great name. Also, the Battle of State Schools. This is discipline versus the Wild West out here. And although our boy Odell has done a nice job cleaning things up, this is this is crazy, but I just can't imagine Florida State's going to do anything even remotely good or exciting. So I mean, is Mike coaching in this game, Norvell? No, he's not. 
that doesn't matter. You can't you can't instill discipline in the book. What's Florida State even doing right now? It's like the classic, Mike Norvell will observe bowl practices. You know how that goes. Like, come on, I don't know. I'm still taking Arizona State. I'll take Arizona State as well. Just curious. Okay, AutoZone Liberty Bowl, Navy favored by two against Kansas State. This is tough. I really like both of these teams. Me Kansas too. State's had a great season. Navy's had a really great season. Both teams are very competitive. I think this will be a competitive bowl game. I like this game, and I'm going to take K-State because why not? I'm with you on K-State. I, I like them in this game. They're getting points. Why not? Nova, Home Loans, Arizona Bowl, Wyoming, those Cowboys favored by seven against Georgia State. Wyoming beat JT Raymond's Dark Horse National Championship contender in Missouri, <laughs> and so therefore I have to take Wyoming. I'm with you on Wyoming. I I liked what I saw from them in, in spurts this year. Um, Georgia State, competitive, obviously, in certain games, beat Tennessee, but very up and down year for them as well. Um, yeah, why, why not Wyoming? Valero, Alamo Bowl, Utah, favored by seven against Texas. Talk about a crushing disappointment for Utah. I don't know where they are emotionally right now. Going from the playoff to the Alamo Bowl? Senior-laden team. Tom Herman in Texas seemingly failing the three-year test. Still recruiting okay. They're in a weird place. I'll take Texas. They play close games. It's been my line for them most of the year. Hmm. I think Utah wants to show people that they're for real. They had a bad taste in their mouth against that Oregon game. I'll take them. The Outback Bowl, Minnesota Golden Gophers rowing that boat all the way down to Florida to face the Auburn Tigers, who are favored by seven and a half. If you're a Golden Gopher and you get to come down to Tampa and stuff your face with a blooming onion <laughs> and the Outback Special and a loaded baked potato, and it's 80 degrees outside, you're feeling really good. However, the problem is you're facing an Auburn team that is schizophrenic but is good, and I think is maybe riding some Gus Malzahn-generated upside momentum, having a really good recruiting year right now. Seems to be feeling nice about the future. you got a freshman quarterback who wants to get better. This bowl game matters. They're supremely more talented than Minnesota. Minnesota, of course, will want this more than anything. To beat an SEC team with the caliber of Auburn is like your life goal. However, I'm still taking Auburn. I like all that. Uh, Auburn's way more talented but this feels like a Gus letdown just when you feel like Auburn's maybe got it figured out. Is this similar to them getting beat by UCF in the bowl? I'll take Minnesota. The VRBO Citrus Bowl, the aforementioned matchup between Michigan and Alabama, the tide favored by seven. Are you going immediately over to Michigan or is Alabama just a better program they're going to win? I can tell you who doesn't want to lose this game, and that's Nick Saban. Nick Saban is not a fan of Mr. Harbaugh and does not want to lose a game to him. However, I think he's aware that his team, on the other hand, kind of battered by a really emotionally difficult season for a lot of reasons. Losing a lot of important players, losing to your chief rival. Bama fans, I think they do care about this game. Most bowl games, I don't think they would care. They're not like high level of care. Well, swap out Minnesota for Michigan. Is it they're just... They don't even show up at all. Correct. And that's what's weird is by getting Michigan, it's like they don't want to lose to Harbaugh. Nobody wants to lose to Harbaugh, especially if if he's going to use you as a target for the future of whatever he's going to use it for. I just don't, don't know what to make of this one. This is a very intriguing game. At the end of the day, I think Michigan can play with this current version of Alabama. They're not themselves. They're not really strong or healthy. I don't know their motivation level. But I'm not going to pick against Nick Saban 
in a, a long time to prepare for a Michigan style team, even if he's got 10 guys not playing. I'll take Michigan. I think that they maybe will show up a little bit more in this game. I mean, Bama is definitely not showing up for some of these games, even if Nick Saban would have wanted them to. He wants to win every game. So I don't know if it matters that much more than he wants to win for. He's maniacal. So I don't know if Harbaugh pushes the needle that much for me. Okay, the Rose Bowl game presented by Northwestern Mutual. And the Rose Bowl is interesting. It's always highly rated. It's a beautiful setting. It matters to these Big Ten, Pac-12 teams, regardless of their station or what's happening in their season. Oregon, Wisconsin. Oregon, or excuse me, Wisconsin favored by three. This is the only bowl game that really has cachet. Even now, I love to tune into the Rose Bowl, even just for the beginning, to see the setting, get the Rose Bowl parade. It just has that prestigious feel to it. They've done a great job branding the game. Wisconsin, to me, is like such a unexciting team to watch. They're constantly stuck on my football radar, and they're good, and they're nice, and they give Ohio State a run for their money. Oregon, on the other hand, is very enjoyable to watch. I like watching what Cristobal is doing out there. And for that reason, I'm going to take Oregon. Me too. I'm with you on that. This is maybe just a value pick that they're getting some points here. The All-State Sugar Bowl, Georgia favored by six against Baylor. Do the Bulldogs care about this game? Or is this a repeat of last year against Texas? Kirby Smart and Georgia in an interesting spot. They keep recruiting really well. They've been oh so close to winning national championships. Say what you want about Kirby's coaching somehow, magically, they were a player or two away from winning them. He did something right. However, Baylor has been crazy feisty. No one really knows how good they are because out of conference, they didn't really play anybody. This is like a heroic chance for them to prove something. I don't know that Georgia players are going to be up for this game. They also have not played great on offense. Baylor's defense has been cagey, decent. Georgia's all-star stud left tackle is not going to play. Another one of their O-linemen not going to play. Maybe this is enough. Either way, I want I want to pick Baylor, so I'm going to pick Baylor. Yeah, I could see the version of the game that you're talking about where Baylor is really motivated. They're feisty on defense. Georgia is so much more talented. But gosh, do they care at all? I can't imagine them caring about this game. It doesn't matter that it's the Sugar Bowl. They were just in this game last year. Texas beat them. Texas is back, and it didn't matter. Gosh, I'm flip-flopping my mind, but I'll go Baylor. Tricked you there. The Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, Boston College versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati favored by seven. I couldn't think of a bowl that I would rather watch less than this one. (laughs) Yes. I don't care, even at all. But Cincinnati's had a nice year. I'll take Cincinnati. I'll go with Cincy just for the continuity on the coaching staff. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Man, wow, this game's profile has moved way down. They're not even playing on New Year's Day. They're kind of this weird slot. Uh, Indiana versus Tennessee. Tennessee favored by one and a half. This is a great – this is, on the flip side, a game I actually really would like to watch, which yeah. is crazy. But Indiana's had a phenomenal year for themselves. Tennessee has continued to be a really curious development. In case you're looking at their recruiting numbers, they're 15th right now. So they're a solid tier four in recruiting. He's say what you want about Pruitt. He's somehow doing more than just holding things together out there. And I kind of want to see what they do against an upstart Indiana. I'm going to take Tennessee until they prove otherwise. I'll take Tennessee too. It feels like this is a game they should win. They still would want to win. Um, Indiana has had a really nice year. If Tennessee doesn't show up, Indiana will beat them. This is not a normal Indiana team. They've had a really great year. 
The famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Ohio favored by 7.5 versus Nevada. Got a new feeling on this one, James. Zero feels. I love what well, is my second favorite bowl name? Famous Idaho Potato Bowl. That's I hope great. they get like a sack of potatoes to every player. I don't know, something glorious. Maybe make some just some just delicious some French fries. There, yeah. yeah, French fries and all sorts of other. There's a million ways to make potatoes and they're all good. Nevada, maybe more used to playing in a state like Idaho than Ohio is, but <laughs> Ohio traditional power, Nevada traditional power. I don't have a I don't have a I don't have a metric here. I, I know nothing no about idea. these rosters. Seven and a half tells me that Vegas thinks it's going to be close and they don't want to give you seven, so I'm going to take Nevada. I'll take Nevada as well. I literally have zero idea. Zero. Maybe I have a little bit more of a feel for this next game. The Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Southern Miss versus Tulane. Tulane favored by seven. The Green Wave. Yeah. Waving along. Southern Miss. Again, two programs that are historically good from an area of the country that's very close to each other. They're familiar with each other. They recruit against each other. This is a fun matchup for this part of the country. I'm going to take Tulane. Me too. Tulane's been killing on offense. I think that translates to the bowl game. We'll see. Lending Tree Bowl, Louisiana, favored by 14 versus Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio, not good. They wound up beating Jim McElwain and winning the conference, uh, I believe. Or maybe McElwain beat him the week before. I can't remember. But either way, <laughs> they're matter. not good. They're like a 7-5 and five champion or something like it. And therefore, I'm taking Louisiana. Yeah. Give me them as well. Okay. Let's talk about the playoff. Coming down to the end of these picks now. The Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. You have LSU, which was favored by 12.5, now favored by 13 over Oklahoma. Oklahoma had three players suspended, yeah. one of which was maybe their best defensive player or at least one of their best defensive players. And LSU may be missing their running back. Who's yeah, that could a great story. really hurt. Good old Clyde. Despite that, I think I'm going to still take LSU in this game. They're firing all cylinders. You know, Everybody wanted this matchup. I, I'm very confident they're going to win the game. I think the 13 points is low enough that I still feel comfortable. I'm all over LSU in this one. I love it. I feel like this is made for them. PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State versus Clemson. Clemson went from a two-point favorite to a two-and-a-half-point favorite. This is such a great game on paper. I'm amped for this game. This is going to be a really compelling matchup. Talent versus talent. Man, so many good athletes all over the field. I think they're going to be motivated to play one another. Gosh, I don't have a feel for how this matchup is going to take place. So be, I would love if I was doing a deep dive on both Clemson and Ohio State to really get into the nitty-gritty and see which of those units might be favored against the other one. Um, but this is going to be fascinating either way. I'm certainly hedging in my mind both ways here. Oh, man, Clemson has just been rolling people. And the last I saw of Ohio State, they were scuffling a little bit against Wisconsin. That's certainly staying in my mind. So I'm going to have to take the Tigers. Good pick, Allen. I think we all know who I'm picking. I'm yes. picking Clemson. We talked about this all year long, but they play no one. They play no one. It's the playoffs. Let's look at these two rosters really quickly. They could get exposed, though. They could lose. Oh, this is Ohio State's legit. But let's just look at maybe why we're making this determined pick, or why I am at least, very quickly. Okay, so Justin Fields, zero playoff game experience. Hmm. Trevor Lawrence. Undefeated as a college quarterback, also a national champion. Well, Justin Lawrence, or Justin Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, last year, no experience, true freshman, wiped the floor with everybody. But now he has it. So now he's a better version of himself with experience. Right? All right. Hold on. We'll stop stop there. 
Let's go to the coaching staff. So certainly Ryan Day and the coaching staff, they have been on staffs that have done great things. But you've never been the head coach. That's true. It's very different. It's very different. Dabo, all of his coaches, this is just the same thing they've done before. Right? Same thing they've done before. And what happened the last time Clemson played Ohio State? Maybe you can refresh my memory in a playoff game. Stomp them. Beat them like a freaking drum. That was Kelly Bryant. This is not going to happen this time. I would be shocked if Clemson crushed Ohio State. This team is way too talented. Their secondary is way too good. But you've got to go with Clemson because if these two teams are equal, in our race car analogy, Alan, Clemson has the more experienced driver, the more experienced mechanic, right? the more experienced everything. And so could it be upset? Yes, it could. But this game is wildly intriguing. I love it. Obviously, I'm going to ride Clemson until Clemson crashes. I feel like they have the advantages. The other teams don't. But this is what you want to play off for. This is fantastic stuff. Great football. Looking forward to it. Can't wait to see it. That means both you and I have LSU and Clemson in the final. Who is your national champion for 2019? Man, Tigers versus Tigers. Tiger bait. Man, this might just be my... SEC homer bias here, but I think in a really fun game, I would pick LSU. This feels like LSU's year. Clemson will be favored over LSU. Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell all of you that right now that don't believe me. They will be favored, and they'll be favored by one or maybe one and a half points, unless somebody gets injured in the, if they beat Ohio State. But either way, it this just so feels like LSU's year. It feels almost impossible to pick against them. They've barely trailed, really, at any point of this season, much like Clemson has. They've played a lot of solid teams that have given them a lot of opposition. It's almost impossible to slow Joe Burrow down. Clemson has weaknesses on that defense if you watch them on film. They are not elite across the board. Same for LSU, though. Correct. That's the other question. But which defense maybe has a higher ceiling? I don't know. I mean, this is going to be what you dream of if this happens in a national championship game because you have two extremely good quarterbacks and this is going to feel like an NFL top quarterback versus top quarterback game because these guys can play and I think one of them is going to determine it so you've got a Heisman Trophy winner and then you have the guy who people thought was going to be the Heisman Trophy winner I'm going to stick with Clemson for no other reason than I selfishly have been picking them I could create a case for either one of them and if you look at the stats and the data you could make probably a better case for LSU for this season but until somebody beats Clemson, I'm going to stick with a team that's won 20 however many games there's a more real. I'm not taking them. i got to take them until they're dethroned. They are the Alexander Leventhal of college football right now. I'm going to go Clemson as your champion. Okay, let's say LSU is playing Ohio State. Would you? LSU. Yeah, I okay. think I'd pick LSU over everyone. And I might, if you blind resume both teams, and I don't know anything about the history, I'm taking LSU for sure as well. I just, I just feel like Clemson has to be beaten. Someone has to beat them before. Yeah, I know. I would feel that way. They, they have the same quarterback. They've been rolling who, since that scare against North Carolina. They're, they're, this is a great football team. This is That's the thing. You watch them on film. They're fantastic. I still think Trevor Lawrence has a higher ceiling than Joe Burrow. Clemson is uber talented. LSU, talented with a few gaps here and there. Either way, this is a dream. If we get to watch Ohio State versus Clemson and Clemson versus LSU, oh, man, this is going to be a great playoff season. There will be a lot of good moments there for us to watch. Okay, let's close this thing down. Hope you had a great 2019. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays. We'll check back with you guys in the new year after 
the Gator Bowl game, hopefully with a win over Virginia in our back pocket. Hope you guys have a great holiday. We'll talk to you soon.